Ms. Ostapenko has no challenges remaining. Welcome to day two of the U.S. Open on no challenges remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined again by Tumani Karyoff. Hello, Tumani. Hello, two days in a row. Two days in a row, making a habit of this. It's been great, great to have you back. Also making a habit in tennis of people retiring at the U.S. Open. Uh, just today we had the last ever singles match of Barbara Shritseva, who was a beloved player for NCR and many other people below. And we'll have some clips actually here. Her press conference, you'll have some me, some Courtney. Here is Babs as her final match uh, happened and she's very very certain that she wants it to be her final match in singles and her end is in sight i just have to say that i i had fun even though it was my last match i think i wanted to have fun <laughs> courtney Nguyen, wta barbara uh in terms of enjoying it and soaking in the experience of it all you were laughing and crying it seemed yeah, like, yeah, I was like uh, my son, like I was crying and at the same time I was laughing because I didn't want to cry because it was kind of a happy moment even though I lost the match. So, but the emotion takes over you and you kind of like realizing, wow, it's really my last match here. I won't be coming back here ever, maybe like a spectator, but yeah, it was, it was both. Um, but more, I, I felt like more I'm, I'm happy. But in terms of just looking back, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're going to write a book about your Well, life. I had so many. I mean, uh, people ask me already. Uh, if I, I write a book, I mean, the whole W table be... <laughs> I'm joking. Spill, spill the tea, absolutely. But um, in terms of what your story mm -hmm. is, if you can encapsulate it from, you know, deciding to play tennis, pursuing it, all of the obstacles... What, what well, do you think is the nugget? <clears throat> I had many obstacles during my career, but um, I wasn't sure if I want to really come back after giving birth. And I am so happy that I kind of um, decided to, to do so because I didn't miss tennis at all. I didn't want to come back because I was missing it. I, I just wanted to come back because I was feeling like I need to close this chapter from my side, from from I feel like the tennis um, I, I need it, and also my tennis needs needs that. So I I, I did it, and um, it was challenging, and it is still challenging. And I am happy that I'm done. I'm so I love tennis. It's a great sport, but also I love my life uh, without it. Uh, I, I have so many things what I want to do, what I did, and with my son what I want. So I can't wait to come back to my uh, life without tennis. And uh, maybe I will one day write a book about uh, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Go ahead, Ben. For the year-end championships, if you qualify for doubles, if I qualify, qualify in doubles for for year-end championships, we but, we would have a chance. Yeah, we talked about it after Wimbledon. Would you play? No. no. Even if it's in Prague, it's no. gonna be in Prague. No. You wouldn't play. No. no. Why not? <laughs> I am so ready to be done. <laughs> I mean, no. And there, it's gonna be in Prague. It might, it's one of the bids. Yes, good. Well, I, I wish it, it's going to be in Prague because we have four players in top ten. We would deserve it, but I, I would not be one of them. <laughs> and even just more recently than that, after Schutzeva, we found out that Coco Vandewey is retiring. They should make that official. They had a little ceremony for her uh, in the stadium during in the, or a break where they sort of applauded her during the Venus match, which was kind of odd. It was, it was, very, it was very random, I should say. Yeah. So, like, it was the change of ends, and suddenly the camera... 
uh, showed Venus who was looking at the screen and then they showed the screen and there was a video of Coco playing. I initially thought it was um, uh, something from Coco versus Venus when they played in the Australian Open semi-final. Yeah. But then suddenly... Coco Vandeweghe, yeah. Yeah, Vandeweghe. Coco Vandeweghe. She's yeah. lost rights to her name. It's the first, honestly. <laughs> true. But, uh, but, then, but then, yeah, yeah. It, it said, good luck, Coco. And then suddenly... She appeared in, in the stands, yeah. waving. And so I didn't, I didn't see that part because I was actually talking to other people, and I walked through the player garden to find people to talk to for this podcast. And um, and Coco Vanda was there, like, doing a champagne toast, and there's, like, a, one of those framed pictures of her they give to people when they're retiring here. So she retires. Jack Sock is also retiring at this tournament here. But the person I most want to talk about in this episode is John Isner. I think it's the biggest name of people retiring here. He was the American number one for most of the last, I don't know, 15 years. He was probably number one for most of that time and was really kind of keeping things above water for as much as they were American men's tennis for a long time during one of the darkest periods. So I talked to a few different people about uh, Isner today. And I just think he's an interesting person to, to talk about because I know he's not the most popular player probably among our listenership for his game and some of his political stuff. And we'll get into that tomorrow in a second. But I first want to get... Uh, into uh, some of the comments from his peers who are unanimously pretty glowing about him. He's a very popular guy uh, within the ATP tour. So here you're going to hear from Andy Murray, then from Grigor Dimitrov, then from Eric Buderak, who's uh, now an executive of the USDA, was previously uh, you know, uh, president of the ATP Player Council and a peer of, of John's during his career and also played college tennis, and, uh, and then from John himself. And then we'll talk about him after that. And Ben Rothenberg, NCR. I just wanted to ask about uh, John Isner, who's playing his last tournament here, who was the top American guy for most of your career. Um, I'm just curious what you think his sort of impact on the ATP tour has been. He's obviously a very unique figure he cuts in the game physically and game-wise and everything. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he was. Um, he, well, whenever I've been asked about uh, I mean, I, I believe he has the best serve in the history of the game. Um, amazing technique. Uh, first and second serves could do everything with it. And yeah, obviously just a unique... Well, him and Karlovic were similar in, in obviously height and both of them had amazing serves, but completely different games the, the rest of the time. Like John obviously played predominantly from the back of the court and... Karlovic was serve volleying on on everything, um, and yeah, he was always yeah disaster um, to to play against or see in your draw. I, I played well against him a lot of the time. He's someone that you, you never you know enjoyed enjoyed playing. Um, but yeah, for me, that that's what in terms of his game, I would remember the most about is that yeah, he's the best serve you know, ever to have played. And I've had the discussion with lots of people um, from previous eras and whatnot. And, um, you know, some people may disagree with, with that, but um, I believe he's, he serves the best of all time. I think the stats show that as well. John, the, yeah, the I mean, rules are different because of him now. Yeah, I mean, he, he worked on and off the court, I think, over the years a lot. And uh, I think, obviously, there's... Uh, I think he's serve. <laughs> I think he has the most aces now and all that. But I think he's. Uh, I mean, first of all, he's a great guy. I think it's it's very hard to say goodbye to uh, to 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 players that are, you know, they're great guys. They they love the sport. They they they've done so much for the sport itself. So honestly, I wish him all the best. And I I don't know, did he play today or? He won today. Okay, perfect. That's 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 amazing. It's nice to to end up on a good note here and then. Uh, yeah, family time for him. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Your careers overlapped a lot with with John. Yeah. How different 
what American men's tennis had been <laughs> without John Isner. I mean, like, how much did he do to at times keep it afloat? Yeah. Times change, you know, I mean, as much as he, you know, didn't, didn't do, like, he was, he was the guy for a very long time, it seemed like. Keep it afloat is probably a good phrase that you use because um, it was a tough time between sort of the Roddick Fish era and the generation that's there now. Yeah. And he was, I don't know, the top-ranked American for any number of years, which is not always an easy place to be. Like Andy Roddick has spoken about that. Even some of the new guys speak about that. So sometimes that can even come with criticism, even though you are the best American. Yeah. Uh, he handled it with class. Um, he was always an overachiever, I think, and, and got the most out of his game. Yeah. Um, and he's a great guy. Like he, people just genuinely like being around him. We saw that today with his retirement ceremony, where I sent a few texts to different players, and before you knew it, when his match was wrapping up, there was players just coming out of the stands that wanted to be part of a, a big photo. So yeah. it just kind of shows like how well liked he is by so many people in the locker room. And the other thing I think is so cool about his career is, while it may not be as decorated as like some Hall of Famers. In some ways, like it is a Hall of Fame career because he's, yeah. you know, record holder in aces, longest match. Like he's been such an interesting part of tennis history. I think he's like shaped a lot of tennis history. Even the aces and the longest match are obviously where he's there. But he got the rules changed about the fifth set tie breaks. Yeah, that would not be a thing without him. Yeah, like, really, he was repeatedly the guy. <laughs> yeah. who like spurred change in the after, sport. After after like, him and Kevin Anderson, they him said and Kevin enough. Kevin Anderson and also <laughs> him and Ed Mahout, I think before was still the yeah. ghost, so that was still lingering. Like. Yeah. He, yeah, I think he's, his game, I think he actually like had a, had a very outsized impact, yeah. uh, even what you would see on the results. I don't know if you sense that from... from no, com him. completely agree, and that's yeah. why I said, like, obviously he doesn't have like the classic credentials to make the Hall of Fame, but in so many ways, he's such an important part of tennis history. Yeah, very cool. yeah. Thank you very much, Eric. Yeah, of course. Ben. So how did it feel in your sort of first time playing mm -hmm. a possible last match? What was, what was the emotion, emotions like? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit emotional, but I think in a sense it's... It's helping me free up a little bit. You know, if I don't, if I didn't win that match, it would it would be tough. But I'm very uh, resolute in my decision to, to retire. There's no um, doubts about that. So you know, I've just got to try to uh, to empty the bucket here. And you know, one of the reasons I'm retiring is because my my body is really sort of feeling it, and I, I, I know why right now too. I mean, it's uh, it just it's not like it was five, six, ten, twelve years ago. So, but still alive, got a lot of adrenaline keeping me going, and we'll see what I can do. Do you ever? I know you're not like a typical big ego sort of guy, but do you ever step back and think about your sort of impact? on the sport. I mean, you were the U.S. top guy for yeah. a lot of a lot of yeah. weeks, a lot of months, years, and without you there, it would have been a very dark chapter yeah. in American men's tennis results-wise for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, you led to rules being changed at Grand Slams. There's yeah. no more final, there's final set tie breaks now because of you, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like, do you ever sort of step back and think about, like, actually sort of left a mark on this, on this sport in my way? I haven't really put too much uh, thought into that. I mean, I, I do take pride in or I did take pride in, in being the top-ranked American for as many years as, as I was, but at the same time, I also realized that you know, it wasn't the 1990s, you know, where the America had five guys in the top ten, but there were certainly some times where I was the only person in, like, playing Madrid in Rome, the only American there for a couple of years, and that was, that was sort, of, sort of weird for me. But, yeah, I... I <sighs> What my legacy is, I'm not sure. I just want 
I want to be remembered most importantly for, you know, from my colleagues as a guy that I'm pretty easy to get along with off the court. I think I've had great relationships with the guys before me, my contemporaries on tour, like Stevie and Sam and Jack and, and then the young guys. I mean, I feel like I get along with, with all of them and I'm always going to, you know, be in their corner when I'm long gone and, I will be willing to lend a helping hand too if if anyone ever wants that. If it's just advice, it's advice. So um, I, I would just want my legacy to be someone that's was you know being pretty affable and you know, e- easy to get along with. Once you're gone, they can get rid of the, the final set tiebreaks. That would be then I would know it was definitely me. If yeah, they if they did that, if they just reverted back to the old ways when I'm gone, then you can 100% pin that on me. It's probably like 92% on me, but it'll be 100%, yeah. So, yeah, so, Germani, I'll start with you, I guess. How, how do you think of John Isner now that he's he's retiring? I'll say, I'll, I'll say, when we did our, Cordy and I did an episode end of 2019 about the 10 most defining players of the 2010s, 10 men and 10 women. I had Isner on my list of 10 men. Because I thought that as the top American guy, kind of an outsized role in some ways, and what he did, the way he played, he changed the rules of the sport. Him, as he said in that press conference clip, like he, the reason there are no more long fifth sets in tennis is because of John Isner. Like I don't know that any players shaped the rules of tennis as much as he has in his own unintentional ways. Um, and have his all-time ace record, uh, lots of other sort of superlatives like that. Uh, won a few big titles, won Miami. Uh, you know, three other Masters finals, I think, in a semifinal. So, like, a good career by any definition. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it, maybe it's just some American bias, or he did well in Washington. was one of his first big runs when I was at that tournament in 2007 when he made the final. Uh, I said I was going to let you talk, and I'm just rambling myself. <laughs> in 2007, he made the final of, of Washington, making, winning five straight uh, third-set tie breaks in that tournament to make it to the final. Uh, over play- Can I name them all? I think he beat uh, Henman, I want to say. I'm not going to name them all. Desnick was one, Malfi's, anyway. What do you think of, as, as a non-American, someone who probably was less <laughs> enthusiastic for this topic for this episode, what do you make of, 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 of John Isner uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a figure in tennis history? Um, I mean, the first, the first thing I think of when I think of John Isner is obviously his serve, and as, as Andy Murray said, it's one of his, if not the greatest of all time, just in terms of you know, technique and also the, the altitude it came yeah. from um, and the angles he created with it. And it's more it, than just his height, because it was good beyond yeah, his height. Yeah, I mean, Murray, yeah. Murray himself said like the technique's kind of perfect. Further to that, it's, it's funny because if you ask a lot of tennis fans who, who watch tennis daily and you know w- regularly, a lot of people are not attracted to it. They don't. Yeah. They don't like it. They, they think it, it's boring. It's you know one, two, sh- three. You know three shot tennis, and and that's all. But in, in a weird way, when, when we come to these events, it's it's an attraction, right? People will come here, and when they see John Isner's head poking out of the clouds, they'll they'll, <laughs> they'll you know they'll come. They want to see that serving person. Yeah. They want to see what it looks like, and and it actually, and I, you know I would say it's it's quite spectacular in person. When you have to really, I mean, w- with all of t- tennis, it doesn't what you see on TV is completely different to just how quick and how difficult it looks in in real life. So. In, in that sense, it's it's always been an attraction in, in tournaments, and and as he's also been, I think he was one of the at least from the UK perspective, um, one of the first prominent players to come from of this generation to come from college. Yeah, and I think he, obviously he, I mean, it was necessary for him to kind of build, build as a player and 
you know, build all the other skills aside from the serve that were necessary to be a top professional player. But I, I think he probably plays the trail in, in, in that sense. And yeah, he was clearly, a, a, in, in, he was also clearly an overachiever and in, in, yeah. in he achieved, really he achieved so much. That's undeniable. As, as you said, as you listed his career achievements, he, he was a top player for a long time. He was just, I mean, just also just the player you didn't want to draw anywhere. Yeah. And not, no one wanted to draw him. Even, again, going back to Murray, who un- I think until Wimbledon he'd, he, um, last year, he'd never lost to Right, Isner. that's right. Yeah. But even so, when you get John Isner in your part of the draw, you're like, shit, I mean, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's not something you want. No, exactly. And that's, and that's kind of ultimate compliment in that way. And not, you know, different kind of players can inspire that from someone from like, you know, Chase away, probably gets the same reaction from playing a totally different game of just sort of variety and being uh, uncomfortable in that sense. But yeah, but but John had that, and he had, you know, a very very steady career of. of he's now, as you said, he's ranked at his lowest. You know, since he basically came on tour, he's out to the top 100 now, and he wanted to play a little bit longer, um, but just things fell apart from him. But he was, yeah, yeah, and he was from American perspective. It's interesting what you said about the aces. I think the aces, and his kind of play are much more boring if you watch a lot of tennis. If you're like, if you're really into tennis for the rhythms of it, but if you go like in person, seeing someone hit a ball serve ball at 140 miles per hour is pretty special. It's spectacular. Yeah. 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 And also, and people just like aces the same way some people like home runs in baseball or sixes in cricket. Um, and there's something about aces that get sort of stigmatized as being boring compared to like having a big forehand, which isn't considered boring ever by anyone. Um, but something about that, I understand that it's not, not, it was interesting to have very short points. But the thing with Isner also, I think he was underrated for being watchable and that his matches were almost always really close. And he played, a, obviously, a ton of tie breaks. And tie breaks are kind of inherently uh, exciting to watch a you know, tie break uh, so I think for me I found him surprisingly watchable just as a, as a fan maybe an acquired skill in some way to get to, to learn how to appreciate Isner matches which I had to watch a lot of um, in his time covering him because a lot of times yeah as he said in press a lot of, there were a lot of years where he was the only American guy in Rome or Madrid and something like that and he was just sort of the only one kind of flying the flag literally on the, on the draw sheet um, at a lot of big overseas tournaments and so he was you know, I was thinking this is overstating it, but Serena retired last year as a longtime American number one, and Isner, her opposite number on the men's side for a lot of that time, even though he's a lower number most of that time. Yeah, it's interesting that he obviously came. He was in some ways a stopgap between the stronger Roddick, Fish Roddick especially era, and and what seems to be coming with with Fritz and Tiafo in that group, and hopefully have higher highs ahead of them. American tennis, and obviously before that, Agassi and Sampras and Michael Chang and Courier were winning lots of slams and taking up lots of space in the top ten. Isner was the best guy for a lot of historic lows in among American tennis, but it also wasn't his fault. He also did, and I think Buderak says this, he did a really good job of being kind of gracious about that, about being getting these questions about why is American tennis so, so in the toilet. But it's not his fault. I don't think anyone thought that Isner should have been doing more, per se, that he left anything on the table. That's people like, we mentioned, I said I, sh- I shadowed him yesterday too, but I'll say it again, Jack Sock, people like that who had potential they left unearned, or other, other players who never picked up a racket because they played some other sport instead. The issues, I think, were never with, you know, the guy kind of holding the check at the end of the tournament each time in, in John Isner. I mean, you, you mentioned that he, he's been popular in the, in the changing room and Evan was glowing about him when, when you've spoken to them. Yeah. Um, and just as someone who's obviously covered him and, and been around him in, in whether press conferences or just seen interactions with players, uh, you, you know, as, as a journalist, you, you understand that he's, he's personable, that he's, you know, he's considered someone who you know, among the players, just in in this environment, is someone who is, is op- you know, quite an open person who people are, he speaks to people and yeah. and they appreciate. He's open, know. he's thoughtful, he's articulate, he's like a, a good, you know, 
medium articulate I'm, I'm I mean, in your face. Th- thoughtful is, you know, but... Well, we can get, if you get into the politics side, <laughs> yeah. which is how it possible, that's, I want to talk about that too. I'm not ducking that because I think Isner's also interesting to talk about how, and it's a very Isner phenomenon, I think it's kind of the flagship person for it among prominent players, of how uh, a person's political opinions and beliefs uh, affects whether or not people root for them or how they feel about them when they're on a tennis court. And Isner, politically, I think is kind of, I was looking at his, in preparation for this uh, episode, I was looking at his Twitter likes again, his recent ones, and he's kind of a standard Fox News Republican person, you know, which is, which is on his views, which is occasionally tweeted about, but usually it's more his likes and things like that. During the pandemic, he had a couple of things where he tweeted about, like, you know, some things about the riots and stuff, and was, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he's been as, he wasn't Sangren, that's what I'm saying. Sangren had much more extreme, further right political views, a lot more offensive things he said. I don't know if it's been offensive per se, but he's been certainly, people have found his positive taste long. I think it's also interesting, what do you think about that phenomenon, just a recent phenomenon about fans, especially in social media, choosing who to root for, how to feel about a player based on their political uh, expressions, for better or for worse. I think it's, that's a particularly big issue in tennis, an individual sport, where it's, you're not following a team, you're following the, the person, and a lot of people have had to decide whether following the person means following the tennis or, or everything they stand for. And and yeah, and, and in, in te- I mean, tennis is obviously, in, in many respects, you know, there, there are more, let's say, di- diverse sports or whatever, but yeah. there, there's a, still a, a massively diverse fan base and and seeing him, you know, attach himself to to, to Fox News, you know, fo- right wing issues in, in the states is yeah. extremely un- uncomfortable for a lot of people, and and a massive red line in terms of support yeah. supporting him and and you know f- fo- following him. Yeah, and you think that's fair game? That's fair. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I get that, and I get that. I also get that there's also a lot of tennis fans who are politically aligned with John Isner, and that's obviously. Maybe less the kind of people who populate our our sphere of tennis Twitter and and NCR listenership. Maybe somewhat. I, I can't speak for everybody. I've done a political poll of NCR listeners, but you know, if you go to Indian Wells or Cincinnati and the crowds there, there's a lot of Trump voter type people there. Certainly there for sure. I was actually just on the train back or even this term of the U.S. Open. I was taking the Long Island Express home as, as my nonsense logistical journey is getting to and from this tournament. And there was a person who was sitting behind me who just got back from the Open, too, who was regretting that he didn't buy a souvenir dish towel from Trump Tower that had a 45 on it for his number presidency. He was like, oh, I wish I bought that. I really should have gotten that. I was thinking that home, like, they had the same towel at home, but it had a really nice 45 on it. I was like, this, I don't hear this much in my bubble in D.C., which is 96% Democrat, whatever. So that was, anyway. I'm just saying there is, as much as it can seem on social media like everyone's unanimously against his politics, his politics are actually not out of the mainstream in America. Um, for whatever that's worth, and that can be dispiriting, considering what they are. Um, but that's just kind of what it is. I, th- I think it's also, I mean, on social media, it's not it's not just Americans, right? It's, it's yeah, people from from all, many walks of life, many different yeah. countries. Who, yep. You know, you, you see the, the, these types of views kind of spouted, and I mean, the the, the react the reaction is very, it's you know, it's yeah. confused and. Just yeah, it, it it doesn't go down well. Yeah, at all. no, and it's interesting too because even even just knowing him in person, there's kind of a disconnect between what he presents in social media and how he acts in person. Like you wouldn't know from dealing with him on the pure co- collegial level that his you know politics that he'd be favoriting Tucker Carlson 
tweets or whatever in the, in the last two days. That, that, that goes for many, I mean, yeah, in, in, the, in, in this Trump era in particular, yeah. that goes for many people, right? Yeah, That's it's true. kind of representative of a lot of people. I'm just saying, I just wanted to make it clear that like, I do think it's important. I do understand how people foreground that in thinking about him. And I respect and get that. And I, that's totally valid, I think. I just also think like it's interesting also for a lot of play, like the players I talk to, yeah, I don't give a shit yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. Yeah. An interesting disconnect. And even like you know, he, he was playing mixed doubles with Serena. He's he's I'm sure he has a great relationship with people like Francis Tia for yeah. whatever. It's, yeah, it's, and uh, yeah, and, uh, and as I said, he's it seems that he's universally well liked yeah. on the tour. Yeah, he is. For and, sure. and and for reasons, not yeah, for, for reasons. Yeah. And it's interesting. I talked. I remember talking to Nicole Gibbs about that about like doing a story during the 2016 election like saying that players really don't care about each other's like politics like it's not something that people find disqualifying for better or for worse they don't care and they don't engage with that so obviously that's changed in social media and that's part of Isner's perception so I want to talk about it here um, yeah I mean I mean, just on that I'd say I mean the, the thing that kind of joins players together what the common interest is tennis right yeah and and, and, and players who who may who are maybe close to and don't, and don't speak about tennis or uh, yeah, politics isn't. It's not the yeah. number. It's not the no. issue. And, and also, like, if there's someone who can help you play or help you be a doubles partner, winner, just be a pleasant person to be around collegially. Yeah, even like Coco Golf. Coco Golf played doubles for a long time with Katie McNally, who had a lot of like pro-Trump social media stuff at different times. And Coco Golf is obviously like known for being. You know, she just met the Obamas last night. So you known for being a outspoken Black Lives Matter type person. And so, but she was there, you know, playing doubles for a long time with Katie McNally. And I don't know how much they talked about that or not, but. Um, it's interesting, yeah, how it kind of connects and doesn't connect at times in this world where politics are more and more a part of the, uh, the story in tennis. Uh, certainly we have that. We talked about the Saudis last time. There's, you know, the, uh, the war in Ukraine obviously going on and everything like that. Yeah. But, but, I mean, speaking of just political leanings, I have always found it interesting that, I mean, get, given the, the, the right-wing political beliefs that he's been, you know, happy to project, Comparing that with his his role in in the PTPA and and being part of a player association, proto union kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's interesting to me. Yeah, I think I asked about I think I asked about that at some point. Like, how do you feel about unions? And he said, well, normally like existential. It was him or somebody else. It might have been another. I don't want to hit someone said it was Sizzler, but it's, there is a disconnect there. Yeah. You're right for sure. Um, although PTPA, I mean, God knows what they're doing or not doing. It doesn't mean they've really done anything. Bluntly, they can take credit for stuff they're not doing if they want to, but I don't think they're doing anything. That's really made a difference so far. Fair? Unfair? I'm not seeing it. I, I I'll mean, talk about them later. I'd love to do another PTBA show at some point, like more focus on them. Sure. But, yeah. Yeah. Maybe later. Until then. Thank you, Tamani. Bye, folks. You. See you next time.